Hello folks, welcome to Courtside Wellness. I'm your host, Brandon St. Croix, former athlete and current social worker. On today's episode, we're joined by Dr. Emmett Gill, consultant, keynote speaker, and clinical sports social worker. He's the former professional sport crisis and wellness program manager, where his responsibilities were including NFL crisis plans, quality assurance for the NFL lifeline, and the mental health training for the NBA. He's a former director of student athlete wellness and personal development and clinical assistant professor at the University of Texas at Austin. He's worked as a faculty and athletic service member at the University of Texas at San Antonio, North Carolina Central University, the U.S. Military Academy Prep School, the State University of New Jersey, and Rutgers University. He's also the founder of Athlete Talk. Athlete Talk is a mental health and wellness app that uses image-based daily posts, multi-day plans, and videos to engage athletes in daily reflection and applied exercises. On today's episode, Dr. Gill and I will talk about his experience as a clinical sports social worker, a researcher, and what he has seen over his career. We will also talk about Athlete Talk and how it can be implemented into different universities and colleges. Thank you and enjoy. And folks, we're back. So joining us today, we have Emma Gill, founder of Athlete Talk and Lion Tom Sports Social Worker. So Emma, thanks for joining us today. Oh, thank you for having me, Brandon. I'm happy to speak with you today. Truly appreciate it. I think it was going back to 2014 or 2015 was the first time we met in Chicago. Uh, and that's when I started getting into the sport social work realm, and you were into it for quite a while at that point. So I'm going to throw it over to yourself and tell us a bit about you know who you are and about Athlete Talk and about your journey. Yeah, I appreciate that, Brandon. Man, time time really flies. Uh, 2014, it just seems like it was yesterday. But yeah, um, again, Emmett Gill. Um, I'm the founder of, of Athlete Talk, which is a, a wellness app um, specifically made for athletes. And um, I've been doing the work in the field of sports social work now for about, I would say for about a little over a decade. Um, and I've worked in various uh athletic departments and at various universities. Um, I usually uh, have an appointment um, as a professor and then I serve a dual role in athletics. And I've done that in in several departments, Rutgers, State University of New Jersey, uh, North Carolina Central University, um, and most recently, um, the University of Texas at Austin. So I'm just really excited um, about your work and really about the way we're progressing in terms of of sports social work as a field. And it's true. The field has definitely grown over the years. Like I said, even from 2014 to today, you know, the amount of avenues and sections that we've seen evolve is amazing to see. And how did it all start for you in terms of the merge between sports and social work? Yeah, um, man, it, it, it seems like it's, it's been so long. So I'm going to try and give you the abbreviated version, but um, Brandon, when I was at the University of Pennsylvania um, as a first-year doctoral student, um, I really enjoyed all of my coursework, but I really did not have an area of interest. And so during my second year, that really impacted my performance, you know, in terms of how I could, you know, write papers and do research because I didn't have a true area of focus. And so um, I subsequently, I left. University of Pennsylvania and took some time off from my doctoral studies. And in doing so, 
Um, I also assumed custody of my daughter. So I was a single parent who was having challenges with childcare. And so I was watching quite a number of NBA reruns and I would see these um, stories, these human interest stories on athletes. And it finally clicked, you know, that's, that's social work. And so uh, shortly thereafter, I returned to finish um, my doctorate at the University of Maryland. And, you know, that's when I moved on to Rutgers. And while I was at Rutgers, I was appointed as the faculty mentor for the women's basketball team. And Brandon, this was in the aftermath of the Don Imus Rutgers women's basketball um, controversy. And so, you know, I'm so thankful to um, the late um, Dean Richard Edwards for giving me the opportunity and, and for the all-time great women's basketball coach, Vivian Stringer, because she was really interested in making sure that her, her athletes um, were okay, you know. And so uh, that sort of began my entree. Um, into sports social work and have just been doing things ever since. And in terms of experience, again, we talk about, you know, course our wellness is, is a big representation around providing a voice for athletes. And it sounds like that was the role that you were brought into to take care of the overall well-being of the athletes at Rutgers. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, coaches are starting to get it now and administrators are starting to get it that you know, if you want your athletes to be at their best on the court, you know, then they have to be, they have to work on their wellness all the way around, right? In social work, we talk about psychological dimension, social, spiritual, biological, all of those things have to be clicking um, if you want them to, to be at their best um, when game time comes. And so, you know, folks like Vivian Stringer at Rutgers, um, coaches like Shaka Smart, when he was at the University of Texas, great athletic directors like um, Dr. Ingrid Wicker McCree at North Carolina Central University or Lynn Hickey, who was uh, formerly at the University of Texas at San Antonio. Um, these are individuals who sort of get that you got to have um, athletes of sound mind um, for them to maximize their bodies. And it's so true in terms of you know, the holistic approach, which, again, you know, we know the connection between the physical and the mental part. But again, how much effort do we put into that or how much resources? And, it's, and you know, it's growing, but again, you know, there's definitely a ways to go with it. Yeah, there is. And I mean, you know, um, Brandon, you know, I mean, part of it is, is, is information, you know, part of it is selling the vision, right? Um, but then once you have people buying into the vision, you have to provide them with resources, you know, so your podcast is, 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 is a resource and will continue to be a resource. Um, the information that we put out, the research that we do, um, the evidence-based practices that we develop, all of this, you know, provides coaches, sports organizations, um, you know, with the type of information that they need. Because, you know, Brandon, as much as we think this is, this is common sense, you know, that's not necessarily true. You know, it may be common sense that we need to work on our wellness, um, but all of us can use assistance in terms of you know, skills and strategies to do that. And so that's why I'm really excited about your work. I'm excited about, you know, the work of all of the people that we've met along the way, um, because we're continuing to develop, you know, different types of content. And, you know, that's part of the reason um, that I decided to develop Athlete Talk. And it's all true because, again, you know, those growth resources, it maximizes the capacity as well. And again, I'm interested to talk more about Athlete Talk. So, Tell us more about kind of how Athlete Talk started and what the vision is for it. Yeah, yeah. It's um 
and I love telling this story and I, I, I try and I try and uh again make it an abbreviated short version of the story. But um in twenty seventeen I accepted a job, uh an opportunity. I accepted an opportunity, a challenge. Um from then athletic director Mike Perrin, who was at the University of Texas at Austin. And Mr. Perrin, who's a prolific um uh, attorney in Texas, um you know, brought me on as a director of student athlete wellness and personal development. And I was also a clinical professor over in the school of social work. And um, the dean, then Dean Louis Zayas, um, put out an email that said, you know, there's this grant, um, a small amount of money. Um, there's some opportunities here. And at the time, Brandon, I was really struggling with how can I reach more Longhorn athletes? Like on my best day, I may be able to see five or six Young folks over the week, I might be able to see 30 if I'm really good, you know, but that left several hundred athletes who could potentially use some mental health and wellness services without them, right? And so um, I'm not sure how I came to the idea, but I said, you know what, let's think about doing an app. And as a matter of fact, I do recall that the NCAA had offered some money to um, individuals and there was a professor at Texas who started an app, um, but I don't think he finished the app. And so I think I came across that information. And long story short, started working with the iSchool at Texas um, to, to implement this, to develop this app. Had an opportunity to pilot test it within athletics. Had another group of engineering students to work on the app and had an opportunity to pilot at the University of Texas. And you know, to go on the downhill sort of this story, I eventually left the University of Texas to work on the um, NFL's uh, mental health emergency action plan development. And I put the app away, but I was still in contact with the University of Texas football team and their director of player development, Kevin Washington. And long story short, trying to make it shorter, uh, the opportunity with the National Football League ended, COVID hit. And I said, what a great opportunity to spend some time, not only working on this app, you know, but working on myself. And so as I was working on myself, Brandon, I was developing strategies and content for the app. And, you know, that was, that was a year ago that started working on the app. And, you know, we launched it a couple of months ago and just really, really excited. And it's great, you know, it's great to see that it was always kind of, you know, still in the plans, even like I said, when you kind of took, take a step back from the app, it was still present. It was just, okay, it's there, it's not gone away. And then, like I said, COVID has taught us that, you know, the virtual means, you know, apps, uh, e-mental health services, they're so valuable and it can be, you know, at the touch of your fingers and reach out to a large number of athletes at the same time. Yeah, it's it's like, you know, you've you've got several... When people are engaging in their help-seeking behaviors, you know, at the end of the day, you know, they can see a mental health professional in person, right? As you mentioned, they can engage in telehealth. That's possible. But now we also have this, this generation of apps that are coming out. And it first started with Calm, and, and, and now there's, you know, there's another app there out there called The Zone, and, you know, there are a couple of other apps and Athlete Talk. And then you've got people who are actually going to go to hard copy books, you know, and read things like Brene Brown and, and, and other great authors who talk about our wellness. So, you know, one of the things 
you know, that I continuously, you know, remind the athletes that I work with about is that you've got at least four different ways to work on your wellness. Choose one, you know, just choose one and, and, and start there or continue your journey there. But, um, yeah, just, just, just really excited about, you know, the fact that I can provide a resource for athletes in a space, their phone, you know, where they, where, where we often visit throughout the day. Right. <laughs> And like I said, touch their fingers is very, you know, very quick to get. So in terms of this app, is this launched for, you know, all athletes? Is it only for athletes in the NCAA or, you know, who is the audience that this is targeting? Yeah. So um, Athlete Talk right now, um, Brandon, is our, our target audience is our college athletes. Um, but we also believe that our content is appropriate for high school athletes as well as professional athletes. Um but in, in the next iteration of our app, um, which will happen around this time next year, we'll probably have more content for high school. We're probably going to go in the direction of high school. You know, and just to give you an idea of what our content looks like, we have a, a social media wellness feed on our app that's this similar to what you would see, you know, sort of on LinkedIn. Um, we're familiar with all the positive images and quotes and things that happen on LinkedIn. Well, now athletes have that. Um, same content in the app where they can, you know, like images, share images, comment on images. And then we also have um, multi-day wellness plans where we aim to normalize wellness. So we have categories like wellness, personal development, mental health, life skills, where athletes can go in, work on a three-day plan as it relates to gratitude. We know that gratitude and depression or symptoms of depression can exist in the same space. And so we we have uh, over 54 um, uh, multi-day plans uh, that athletes can engage in. And then after they engage in them, Brandon, then we have thought and action exercises. And that's really where they do their workouts, right? We can talk about going to the gym, but that's not going to help our strength or our speed. So we follow the plans um, with exercises. And then lastly, they have an opportunity to journal on the app. So whether they want to journal about their day or they want to journal about what they read, we also know that there's a positive association between journaling and positive mental health. So um, that's a little bit of the content and a little bit about our target audience. And it's great to hear because one thing I'm hearing too is that it shows that the individual is more than just the athlete because oftentimes that, you know, an elite athlete consumes themselves by their sport in their position that is who i am that's who i am and that's why i've been told since a young age but again it talks about you know the gratitude the journaling looking at other tasks that a individual can do like say 54 daily uh plants so in terms of how that is it defines us in different ways as well which i think is very beneficial for not just the athlete during their career but afterwards as well yeah yeah brandon and you mentioned a great point um you know our plans one of our sort of signature characteristics of our plan is that they talk about sports but they also talk about life right and so that's really important um to to your point around identity development you know it's interesting we we do a piece called monday night mental health and i'm so thankful that you've you participate in a couple of them but last night we talked we resumed uh, for this year and last night we talked about um the impact of racism on college athlete mental health. And, you know, one of the mental health practitioners raised a really good point. Uh, one of the ways to combat, you know, microaggressions, micro insults, micro invalidations is to work on identity development, that you are more than an athlete. So when people attack you from that angle, you know, you're also 
um, you know, a scholar. You're also, you know, a son or a daughter. Um, and so that piece around identity development and looking at yourself as more than just an athlete is so important to your wellness, right? Because oftentimes, Brandon, as you know, when you're working on your wellness, you're working on areas that are non-athlete roles, right? You know, you've got your performance stuff and you've got your, you know, your mental toughness stuff. Um, but when you're talking about your wellness, you're talking about almost everything except for sports. So that's so very important. And in that kind of thought, what do you feel is one of the biggest gaps in the sport community currently that needs some changing to happen? Wow. Um, well, I, I think the the thing that, that sticks out to me is resources. I mean, we we need content and resources that's specifically designed for athletes, whether you're high school, whether you're college, whether you're in youth sports, you know, whether you're in pro sports. Um, we need content that's specific. And I think the other piece is that we, even before that, we need resources. You know, um, I oftentimes say, you know, to when we're doing a, a demonstration of athlete talk, you know, what we are asking for in terms of a one year subscription, you know, is the equivalent of what a power five conference school would spend on one helmet. So I'm like, you know, if you can't spend money, you know, if you can't spend this type of money, one helmet to provide a one year subscription to all of your athletes, you know, really, what are we talking about? And so I think that related to that. So we've got the, the money, right? And the money goes towards the resources. But I really think the other part that's not necessarily mentioned, Brandon, but we're working on it, is just sort of letting people know that mental health requires an investment. Like it, it requires an investment of time. Um, it requires a re an investment of resources. And, you know, it's just not something that, and I say that because I think people think that, okay, we can just decide today that we're going to work on our wellness. Well, you got resources, you got books that you got to buy, you got apps that you got to purchase, you got telehealth sessions that you have to pay for, you've got in-person sessions that you ha have to pay for. And so in addition to the investment and the resources, um, it's sort of also about helping people to understand the process, you know, of the journey towards um, positive or better or enhanced mental health. Um, because it's, it really is amazing. And I don't want to be overcritically overcritical because I know that we're on a journey. But it's just amazing how many coaches I just was looking at, not coaches, athletic directors. I was just looking at a comment from an athletic director at a Power 5 school that's talking about mental health is a number one priority in our athletic department. But they don't have one clinician embedded in athletics. And they're one of only probably about four or five power conference schools that don't have it. And so sort of what's that all about, right? Because at the end of the day, we know somebody who's been impacted by a mental health issue, whether they're in our immediate family, our extended family, or our sports family. And so just, and I know I, I, I packed a lot into that one question, but I think working down, if it's just, if you ask me what's one thing, is to continue to help people understand that an investment and in resources are required to help our athletes with their mental health. Yeah. 
And it's so true because oftentimes organizations and systems believe, okay, you know what, we're going to bring in this person for a day for an hour and a half conversation, and, it, you know, it's a checkbox and it's covered off. But yet when it comes to physical health or physical performance, we, you know, organizations and systems and universities invest so much money into, okay, how can we, you know, help our athletes, you know, jump uh, higher, run faster, push harder. But yet we don't put that same kind of um, priority into our mental health. Yeah. I mean, you're so right. I mean, I can recall when I was at the University of Texas and we had a great speaker, somebody that I really admire, former basketball player, Chris Heron, you know, who played for the Celtics, who played for Fresno State, had a lot of substance use issues. And I always remember what my boss at the time said when I saw how much it cost to bring in Mr. Heron. He was like, if it helps one athlete, you know, then it's worth it. And, you know, I just think that, you know, knowing what Division One schools have, knowing what Division Two schools have and Division Three schools, you know, that we, we really do need to invest that money. And they're doing it, you know, on the pro level, right? You know, uh, the, in, the NFL has mandated that teams have clinicians. Um, the NBA PA has a great piece under um, the esteemed Bill Parham. Um, the National Hockey League has always been at the forefront, you know, they started, you know, really when they were trying to address substance use issues, you know, with hockey players and baseball, you know, baseball has had um, a, a stipulation where, you know, you can go on the disabled list for mental health issues for a while, like before we even started talking about this. So people are putting in real and tangible resources, but we just really, we got to put our money where our mouth is. And in the same kind of you know thought, what is one of the biggest improvements that you've seen in the sport community in your time? Athletes talking about mental health. You know, athletes talking about mental health. We saw an influx of it um, happen during the the um, during the summer and the Summer Olympics with Simone Biles, with the Naomi Osaka. You know, Michael Phelps has continued to be you know a staple as an advocate. Um, Brandon Marshall really got it started. All Demar Derozan. Um, has been great along with Kevin Love. But it's really, you know, a number of USA um, track athletes have spoken out. And so, and and I'm sure internationally that's happening as well, right? But I think the biggest thing is that athletes are really recognizing that we are human, right? And that, you know, um, despite the best efforts of Brandon and Emmett, you know, athletes are responsible or largely responsible or more effective at breaking the stigma of mental health when it comes to athletics, and it's just real. I mean, I think about um, Liz Cambage um, uh, from the Las Vegas, Las Vegas Aces and the work that she's done in the area. You know, I think about, you know, um, uh, Amani McGee Stafford, you know, who's done some great work in this area. It's just athletes continuing to speak out because the thing is, Brandon, as you and I know, you know, athletes are role models. So the college kids are looking at them. The high school kids are looking at them. The youth, the youth sports participants are looking at them. So if they see their idols talking about mental health and prioritizing their mental health, guess what? They're going to start to do the same and think about the phenomenal impact that that could have. 100%. And a few weeks ago, during the Olympics, we had an episode around that same topic of athletes who spoke about their mental health. And some of those names you, you stated, Simone Biles, Kevin Love, uh, in the Canadian front, uh, Claire Hughes, swimmer and uh, cyclist, has spoken about mental health and been a big advocate. Uh, 
Brent Hayden is another one swimmer who's talked about his mental health and struggles in terms of injuries. So again, it's being done all over. And I think it's so true in terms of athletes look up to athletes. So again, that's the conversation that has to further as well. Yeah. Yeah. And when athletes, as athletes continue to speak up, you know, coaches, sports organizations, you know, are, are going to have to continue to acknowledge this and create and insert things into their infrastructure to help their athletes with this. But likewise, you know, the work that you're doing, the work that the people that we know are doing, we have to keep pushing from the inside um, because we know that this is still a business, right? And so that's that's one of the challenges that we still face as athletes speak out. You know, what are, what are the implications of me speaking out? You know, it's no different from Brian Flores and his, his, his suit against the NFL right now. Well, we know that they're going to come with some dire consequences, possibly. You know, what are the consequences when an athlete speaks out? You know, do they get put on the disabled list? Do they get cut? You know, do they lose the confidence of their teammates? So to continue to talk about these things um, here in the States and internationally is just so very important. And that's a great point, too. Athletes have to feel safe to be able to speak out because, again, there, you know, there can be this, you know, risk of, hey, am I going to be caught from my team? Am I going to be blacklisted? Am I going to be now looked at in the same way? Am I, am a coach is going to be looking at me and saying, well, you know what? We don't have, want to have to, you know, have this worry of is this athlete going to speak out and how is this going to impact their ability to make the team yeah. or the next level? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's. You know, uh, as you're speaking, I'm, I'm thinking about it. You know, that's like next level stuff, you know, safety, right? When we talk about things like trauma-informed care, you know, safety becomes so important. And a lot, you know, I, no, I won't say a lot, a meaningful, you know, portion of, of what happens with our athletes, in particular our male athletes, is related to trauma. So they are looking for safe spaces. So like you said, they have to have some, and there are no assurances in life, right? But they there are no guarantees, but maybe... You know, they do want to feel as if, you know what, I can say this and I'm not going to be looked at any differently because at the end of the day, like I said, you know, a coach may have somebody in their home who's dealing with a mental health issue. The athlete deserves the same compassion that that coach is probably providing for that family member. And it's so true. Because, and again, the more we talk about it, the more we normalize it. You take, you know, in every sport, you look at basketball, you're looking at for your average game, at least two players on the field are probably experiencing some form of mental health concern if you're looking at the ratio one of five. Hockey, you're looking at you know upwards of three athletes that are on the rink at any time. So in terms of how can we kind of further that conversation? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And you mentioned it earlier. I mean, when you add injury onto it, right, um, injury has the capability of, you know, not just contributing, you know, to existing mental health issues, but it also, you know, has the capability of creating, you know, mental health issues, you know, whether it's depression, um, whether it's anxiety over the ability to uh, return to form, you know, not to mention the identity piece when you're removed from the team um, because of injury, you know, and you're separated for your team while you're rehabbing and things like that, you know, that's, that's also incredibly challenging you know because we know you know that teams are like families you know they're that extended family what happens when you get separated from your family so just just a lot of a lot of a lot of tentacles but excited you know excited about excited about what what we as a field have done thus far could you share one experience you've had that would say was monumental in your experience of sports social work or in your journey 
Oh goodness. Um. Well, I think the first thing for me is to acknowledge that, you know, by God's grace, I was able to figure out what I wanted to do. This was what I wanted to do, right? Because, you know, what better way to live life than to be able to do the work that you love to do, right? And I like sports. I'm not a huge sports fan. You know, I don't know cover twos and actions in basketball or formations in hockey. Um but I like what sports stands for in terms of bringing together community. So I'm most thankful that I was blessed, you know, with the idea, you know, to pursue this work. Um, in terms of a piece that stands out for me, I mean, this is really general. So, you know, by all means, if you're like, Emmett, that's not good enough. I'll try and think of something else. But, you know, for me, um, as of late, Brandon, has sort of been realizing the many things that we need to do outside of direct practice and therapy. You know, really understanding that, you know, we need resources, we need podcasts, we need videos, we need we need to merge what we do with the field of public health because they do such a good job of reaching the masses. So I think that that, that that's another thing that has been sort of monumental for me because I think you know, I'm sometimes I'm not really sure, you know, whether or not or whether or not I'm the best practitioner for some athletes. You know, so like if you're not practicing in this field, then what are you doing? You know, it's like Ricky Bobby, if you're not if you're not finishing in first, you're last, right? So it's like, you know, wh- where's my space? So I think that sort of has really helped me. So the discovery of it the ability to expand it. But, you know, I would say that the best experience for me was the opportunity to go to the University of Texas. You know, I had a great boss in Alan Harden. Um, I had a great colleague um, uh, in Ashley Harmon. Um, There were some great people in the athletic department who really wanted to help, you know, college athletes with their mental health. And that's rare. Like, but not only that, you know, the opportunity to be able to walk into a classroom and teach folks about sports social work and then give over practice sports social work and then have some of those students that you taught eventually go and be interns in the athletic department. I mean, that's like, you know, that's like, that's like for me, that was like hitting for the cycle. You know, it was like, you know, I was a four tool player. And I think, you know, I sometimes wonder, I'm like, you know, should I stayed at the University of Texas? And I, I think that I made the right decision. But I think that, you know, those few years that I was there, you know, I had the latitude to do things like injured athletes groups. I had the latitude to to create a substance, um, a substance use um, student athlete advisory board. And we did things like put up hoops in the training table because we wanted to attract people and talk to them about substance use and substance abuse. So I think that the, the, the opportunity that stands out for me thus far, you know, is my my, my time uh, within the Longhorn Athletic Department. Yeah. And one thing that I can definitely say from the various times that, you know, we've been at similar conferences or I've heard you speak or even, like I said, on the Monday mental health moments or, like I said, in, in your other uh, YouTube videos I've seen you post, you've always had a passion, which I think is the biggest thing. Yeah, it's just, you know, um, just to really 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 rewind rewind you know um 
I think it's interesting, Brandon, because, you know, when I start off conversations, you know, I started my PhD at the University of Pennsylvania and, you know, I, I finished it at the University of Maryland and all this. But the reality is, is that, you know, I barely graduated from high school. Like, they're going to pull me out of the line. Y'all hurry up and give me my diploma. So they don't pull me out of the line. And the only reason that I went to college was to play baseball. That's it. I didn't want to go. I didn't have any interest in it. Uh, you know, I was a Proposition 48. Um, but I knew that if I wanted to get out on that field, that I had to get my schoolwork. I had to stay out of trouble. And I did that. And so, you know, for me, you know, it's all about sort of, you know, the power of sports. And that's why I'm so passionate about it, because I know there are a lot of young men and young women out there like me that sport is an extra motivator for them. And the other reason I'm so passionate about it, Brandon, is because, you know, regardless of my race, gender, political affiliation, sexual orientation, on most Sundays, you know, if we're talking about the NFL, when we put on those the same jersey, we're on the same team, you know, and there's nothing that separates us. And so, you know, it's just those characteristics and everything that sports stands for, you know, because everything that sports, most things that we happen in sports, 99% of them, maybe a little bit more, a little bit less, you can apply to life, right? And, and, and you know, my, my simple mind gets that. And that just really makes me passionate about it. I mean, there's a period in time where you know, I did more traveling before COVID and people were like, where are you going? Well, I'm going to this NBA game or what are you doing? I'm watching ESPN or what are you writing about? I'm writing about injured athletes. I, actually, what are you doing for your work? That is my work. You know, and what better, what better work for, for a person who owes so much to sports, right? I wouldn't have a doctorate. I wouldn't have a master's. I wouldn't have an undergraduate degree. And I wouldn't have a purpose, probably, maybe, if it weren't for sport. And, you know, some great points there around, you know, the value that sport can bring in terms of, you know, life skills as well, in terms of that sense of community and sense of belonging that it gives us as well. Uh, we had uh, Bill Vanderbilt on from the University of Michigan a little while ago. And he talked about the same thing in terms of the value that sport can bring. Yeah. And I'll tell you something. Somebody, you talk about passion. Bill, Bill has great passion, not just for sports, but you know, for Detroit and the University of Michigan. And, you know, I, I think that's the other great thing about, you know, just our work, you know, the opportunity to meet folks like yourself, you know, um, Bill Vanderwill, um, Greg Hart, and, um, you know, all of these folks, we, it was like, you know, we found each other, you know, and we were part of a tribe and that makes it even sweeter, you know, because as you know, if you want to work in sports, is highly competitive. Whether you're a player, a coach, a GM, it's competitive. And it's competitive in terms of being a mental health practitioner in sports, right? But despite the competitiveness, you know, we're part of a tribe willing to do whatever we can to help one another, to further the movement. And that's just a beautiful thing to me. I mean, at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, you know, and we look back this and we look back on this 50 or 60 years later, you know, you um, Matt Moore, you know, Ginger Gamel, Cindy Aaron, you know, uh, Natalie Graves, you know, all of these folks are going to be like the forefathers and mothers of the sport social work movement. How cool is that? Like how, you know, you, you know, you could be on the end of Bitcoins or cyber currency or some of those things today, but 
how great is it to be at the 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 ground level and now this the third fourth fifth and sixth and seventh level of, of this work and so it's it's really um that's part of what keeps me going and like i said it's great to see like i said the growth in it for sure yeah yeah absolutely absolutely one part we tend to end off our uh, episodes with is what I almost call the uh, crunch time rap- rapid questions. So it's just, you know, t- two or three quick questions we throw out there and, you know, we watch your initial thoughts. So in your opinion, what makes a well athlete? Um, in my opinion, what makes a well athlete is an athlete that has a great handle on who they are outside of their athletic self great point there for sure again you know great for in terms of identity um what is one word of advice you wish you could give your younger self patience patience definitely um you know it's a virtue in in so many different ways whether it's you know trying to wait until opportunities like sports social work come along or whether it's holding words in your mouth that don't need to be said or you know patience is is such a virtue so important and what brings you peace currently? Currently, what brings me peace is making a list in the morning and being able to look at it in the evening and everything's checked off. And I know that I've done the best that I can do. Yeah. Yeah. Some great things there for sure. Again, Emma, I want to thank you so much, like I said, for joining us for the episode of Corsa Wellness. Uh, like I said, you've done a lot for the sports social field in the field of athletics and like I said, founder of Athletic Talk. So again, feel free to uh, take a look at that, folks. Like I said, you know, advocate to your local uh, sports colleges, universities, and organizations around you know the benefit of an app such as Athletic Talk. And like I said, uh, appreciate your time again, Brandon. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm a big fan of yours. Um, I'm so happy to see you. Um, hitting all your life goals, both in your profession and and your personal life. Um, can't wait to have an opportunity to see you again. And if there's anything I can ever do, don't hesitate to call. I appreciate that. Folks, if you enjoyed today's episode and want to check out other episodes, check us out on Spotify, Apple, Audible, and Podbean. You can also follow us on social media at Wellness Athletic Services on Facebook and Instagram. If you have any questions or ideas for the show, feel free to email us at wellnessathleticservices at gmail.com. Thank you and stay well.